Hello and welcome to the Play by Ear podcast. I'm your host, Juan Carlos Narvaez. I'm really happy to kick off the second episode of the Play by Ear podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to listen to the first episode, where I explain a little bit about this new project I'm starting and generally introduce myself and the podcast. Basically, what I want to do is create a space where me, my musical colleagues, and experts in the field of music can discuss different subjects. Today's episode is going to be centered around coming of age as a musician. Most of us got our first taste of music through school band, orchestra, or choral programs, and eventually progress into private lessons and maybe even some extracurricular activities like youth orchestras, summer camps, or even garage bands. Some people are even self-taught. One thing I noticed, especially when I first began to give music a larger role in my life, is that there aren't really clear guidelines for following a musical path. We all just kind of played it by ear. I want to explore and dissect how exactly we find our way into carving a musical path. I guess a good way to start is to look at the beginning. Whether you're self-taught, begin with a school ensemble, or begin with private lessons, no matter what age you begin, there always seems to be a point where you're suddenly thrust into a new world. For me, it was the beginning of fifth grade. I was at a new school, and a teacher took me around to see all the different elective classes that I could take. After a few duds, I stumbled upon the band room. And when I heard them play, I somehow felt as if that was the place I should be. Once I chose my instrument, I felt behind since all the other kids had started their instruments a year prior. I even remember choosing my instrument, which at the time seemed like a pretty inconsequential choice. I just chose it because when I asked my parents, my mom said the flute was the prettiest one. Turns out she thought that the flute was the violin, and then proceeded to call me a violin player for a few years after that. <sighs> Either way, it kind of felt like a magical experience to choose an instrument, almost like choosing a partner in a journey that's going to follow you for a long time. I remember being so, so bad at my instrument too. I couldn't play or change notes without first looking at my fingers, and I really couldn't understand the strange symbols on the paper in front of me. It was literally a different language. As I learned and progressed, eventually I got really frustrated, but that frustration made me become very fixated in improving more and playing the best that I could. I guess the frustration all started when I failed to get into the higher level band class in middle school. That frustration led me to begin practicing every single day and seeing how I could improve, going up on my lunch periods to see how I could discover a new aspect of my instrument. After a year of practicing every day, I started looking into instruments a step up from my student model flute, which was falling apart, by the way. Turns out, kids do not know how to take care of instruments. All that is to say is that the concept of making music was so foreign to me. But through small and seemingly unsubstantial steps, I got deeper into something that started off as a hobby, but soon felt like a part of myself. Especially growing up with not as many resources to follow music, I had to do a lot of the research on my own, and then explain everything that I was learning to my family to try to get their support. They had never seen anybody go into music, so it took a while for me to explain these things. I even remember getting a job to pay for lessons and taking a train for 40 minutes each direction to find my way to my teacher's house because my family just couldn't afford to pay for my lessons. 
Don't even get me started on telling my parents that I wanted to go to school for music. It took them so long to get on board, and sometimes they still fantasize about my life as a lawyer. No thanks. As I will always and always repeat, music is a communal experience. And this is one of the many things that makes it so amazing. But a lot of the time, the process of learning and carving out your path is solitary. Thankfully, while I had to figure out how to carve and create my own path towards musicianship, I was not completely alone. I had the privilege of having one of my best friends figure out their own musical path alongside me. Even though not everything was the same, we weren't playing the same instrument, we had to find different teachers, there were different programs that we could attend, it was still great to have somebody with me that knew what I was going through as well. My best and oldest friend, Michelle Sanchez, grew up with me. Through figuring out where to find private instructors to being the first people in our city to audition for a regional and all-state band and finding resources for ourselves to make the most of our limited funds and access, we really went through the process of becoming musicians together. It was an amazing thing to have a friend going along with you for your musical journey, and it made us stronger. When we get back from this short break, We'll have our first discussion on this podcast with Michelle Sanchez discussing how we found our path by playing it by ear. So before we jump into the discussion, I wanted to reiterate and emphasize that Michelle and I have been friends for a long time. And we figured out a lot about how to pursue music together. Here's a short audio clip of one of my favorite musical moments with her when we played a trio for flute, sax, and piano for her recital before going to college.
with Michelle Sanchez, as I mentioned before. I'm so glad to have you as the first guest of the podcast. Today we're talking about the musical coming of age that comes with choosing to pursue a musical career. First, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you plan to be in the future. Thanks so much for having me, Juan. Um, my name is Michelle, as you know, um, and I'm 20 years old. I'm a junior at SUNY Fredonia, and uh, currently I major in music performance with a minor in arts administration, but I've actually been thinking about adding another major in music entrepreneurship. That's really interesting. What made you think about uh, music entrepreneurship to pursue? Well, I recently added a minor, actually like the, at the beginning of my sophomore year, and you know, the first, oh, I'm sorry, the first class I took as part of my minor was actually like this performing arts management and organization class. And that like, I really enjoyed the class, you know, I like the, throughout the semester, you had to basically create your own performing arts organization and take care of like, basically all the things that go into, you know, you had to come up with like these events and like fundraisers, you had to come up with like this huge like budget, like spreadsheet. And it, it was, you know, you had to make it like as realistic as possible as if you're like going to actually pitch it to like investors, a little bit like Shark Tank, I guess. Um, and I just enjoyed that class so much. And so I started thinking, okay, like this is a useful skill, you know, um, if I just take more classes that are similar to this, you know, I realized a lot of the classes that I need for the arts administration minor are part of the music entrepreneurship major. So I might as well take a few extra classes and then just get both, you know? Yeah, and honestly, I feel like music entrepreneurship is not something we typically see uh, uh, in the forefront of the music industry that we're in. Like, we kind of just take for granted that we're performers and these concerts organize themselves, and it's not actually really like that. So I'm really happy to hear that you're thinking beyond just, like, what a performer uh, thinks about when they're just when they're playing. Right, right. like it's not just all about like, you know, practicing, just being on your instrument, you know, I forget like the other part of the whole performance thing is like actually making a name for yourself and like actually putting yourself out there and like, you know, knowing how it is that you put yourself out there. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we're, we're all our own business and right. we're, whether we go into freelancing or teaching or whatever, we kind of still have to promote ourselves, go to interviews, go to auditions, and so that's really a smart idea and I, I'm, I'm really proud of you for going through with that. Thanks. So, like I mentioned before, we're talking about getting started in our musical lives. Uh, can you tell us how you first started music? Yeah, um, I think the first time I started music was like in second grade, you know, like, I remember in our general music class, they actually gave all of us recorders and we had to start the <laughs> musical. We all just took a recorder class and like, I think we learned like Beethoven's Fifth for like our final concert. Um, but I also played violin then, and I stuck with that until like third grade, and then in fourth grade, you know, we were able, at, my, at the school I went to, we were finally able to choose, like, if we want to take a string program, or you can go into the band program, and so I decided, like, okay, like, why don't you try a new instrument, you know, like, violin wasn't really working for me, um, and they, like, played all the instruments, we could hear our sound, and then I decided, okay, like, this one sounds pretty, so I started saxophone in fourth grade. Yeah, something like it, it's I feel like it's similar for a lot of people where you kind of choose an instrument based on your intuition or just maybe for me, like I mentioned before, the choice was kind of not really significant at the moment, but it ended up being so important in the long run, obviously, because right. I'm now on my way to becoming a professional flute player. But Besides it sounding pretty and liking the appeal of it, 
do you know if anything drew you? Did you feel attracted to it? Or was it something you kind of just started and then the ball kind of got rolling? I, I honestly think it was just that, oh, like, that sounds really pretty compared, like, to all the other instruments. And so I was like, okay, like, I'll choose that one. And I, I mean, it was a little bit, like, I grew up watching The Simpsons a lot. And, you know, one of the main characters <laughs> in The Simpsons, she, like, plays the saxophone. I was, like, in my head, probably, like, oh, and, like, I like that character. And she plays the saxophone, too. So maybe I should do that, too. I guess maybe it was more of, like, a look kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like it's like that a lot. And... I remember also when you first started, you actually kind of got something similar to private lessons right off the bat with a teacher in, in middle school, didn't you? Uh, back then, um, we had this one band teacher who like taught like the, I think the middle school band, and her name was Miss Coda, and she was a, primarily a saxophonist, but you know, she knows how to play clarinet and flute as well, but when she was in charge of that program at the time, she made sure to give like all of us like small group lessons. And that was really helpful. I think I had that like fourth grade, fifth grade, but then in sixth grade she left. So that's when that finished. I remember also one of my middle school teachers did kind of something similar where we actually got to get pulled out of class and yeah, <laughs> go into our exactly lessons. That. And I feel like that was really impactful in a very subtle way. Like it kind of got me used to thinking, okay, so this is something I study and I learn. It's not something just like I randomly do. And it's when you're starting an instrument when you're getting started and before you even know you want to make a career in something it, it those tiny little influences help you to kind of know which way you're going to go and so i think that that was really smart of our middle school teachers back in the day because by the way we went to we've been we've been friends since middle school so yeah. so it's been it's been a long time so speaking of starting your instrument and starting with these little small group lessons when was the first time you actually considered music to be something you should pursue professionally or did you always know was it always in the back of your mind you know i always really enjoyed like playing the saxophone like when i first started playing in fourth grade i was like one of those kids who would actually like take instrument home and like practice like every single day <laughs> even like if i did you know even like if there was like no practice on assignment or whatever and so, you know, I, it was always just, like, this hobby, and I liked a lot, and I knew, like, oh, this is fun, like, I'm just going to keep doing this. But it, I never really considered it, like, as, oh, I, I can actually go to, like, the school seriously for this and, like, actually make a career out of this until maybe, like, eighth grade when I joined, like, the high school marching band. And I, I honestly think that's, like, the first time I considered, like, oh, like, I could do this, like, professionally. And, you know, at the time, I thought of it, like, I could be a music teacher and, like, you know, direct my own marching band <laughs> program when I'm at that point. I, so yeah, I think that's really when I started thinking like, okay, like I can like I can major in music in college. Honestly, I don't think I've ever talked to you about this. My story about how I knew and I could put my finger on starting music is actually tied to you. Really? In a in in a weird way, I mentioned a few times before. I heard my first middle school band, and I I had this feeling that I had to be there. Like I. I heard all the dissonance and, you know, all the wrong notes. and But to me, like, my untrained ear, like, heard something beautiful, right? Right. So I knew I had to be there, and I knew I found a place where I can feel comfortable and that I could grow. Uh, and I knew I wanted to always do it, but I didn't know that it was an option. Like, coming from low-income families like you and I have, we grow up with kind of the idea that, we have to grow up and be lawyers or doctors or whatever because right. because jobs for our parents are kind of a means to an end rather than 
a lifestyle or something you love to do, right? So I remember eighth grade, like you mentioned, you started to say, like, I want to be a classical musician or a jazz musician. At that time, you, you weren't sure. Right. Um, but I was like, what does that even mean? She says she wants to go to school for music. That's possible? Like, I, it kind of blew my mind. And you introduced that idea to me, well, just talking to me about it. And, and I was like, oh, my God, I think I want to do that, too. And for a long time, like, especially when we were younger, I didn't tell you because I was like, Oh, he's just like gonna follow me and so but I honestly like you exposed me to that idea and that concept, which was really influential because obviously I ended up choosing that career path. And that's how my story with knowing that I wanted to be a professional musician and being able to put my finger on it is tied to you in a really interesting way. Wow, I I never knew that. Thanks for telling me that. That's a little bit inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that that's the that's the thing that I love about music is that it's such a communal experience where right where even though we all kind of have to carve our own personal development, stuff like that, like our, your peers advancing and doing stuff, it's very influential in, in, yeah. in your own journey. So in that sense, it's like a, we are a community and you, you influence me and then in turn I may influence, like it's that sort of idea. So I think that's something that highlights the beauty of how music can be a community and a safe place for a lot of people. Speaking of music as a communal experience, right? Um, we all we all need guides along the way, right? So we all have. Our, I mean, I feel like ours is kind of a more general way to get started in music. You always start in in middle school, and eventually you move to high school, and some people start lessons. I mean, there I, I've heard of other people starting by being self taught. Actually, there's this really interesting flute player. Her name is Elsa Nilsson. She's a she's a jazz flute player, and she's completely self taught. And, wow. and she she taught herself the flute and um i got to meet her and, and she's phenomenal I, I i really like her her she she does a lot of improvisation mm -hmm. and she, it's really inspiring to me how she took the initiative as a young kid to teach herself a whole instrument which i could never imagine so doing. needless to say there's so many different ways to actually start your path on a musical life but i think ours is kind of the more general way what type of guides did you have that helped you along the way? Honestly, I, I, I think like the biggest guys first was my, the band director, he took over for like, you know, Miss Coda. His name was Mr. Riley. And he like, since seventh grade, he would like tell me like, oh, you should take lessons. And you know, I would tell my, my parents like, hey, like my teacher says I should take lessons. Like, let's do this. And they'd be like, well, no, we can't afford this. Or <laughs> no, like, why are you going to waste your money on that? And I'd be like, what? And then I just kind of accepted it that year. I was like, okay, like, I'm not going to get these lessons, I guess. But then eventually I did. And so the next biggest guide I had was actually that teacher. His name was Mike Webb. And he was just so amazing. You know, I feel like without him, I really wouldn't have been able to do, I guess, to the point where I'm at now. You know, I feel like he's the one who helped and, like, made a lot of things happen for me. Um, you know. I actually remember Mr. Riley. I mean, he sat us down in the band room. And yeah. I remember standing there. And it was kind of awkward that he brought us in during like a lunch period or something. And he was like, I really think that you guys could go far. And if you guys had private lessons and, and all this stuff. And I was hearing this and I was like, kind of my ego was being a little bit massaged too. Um, but <laughs> it was it was this kind of thing like private lesson. It was the first time I ever heard of, of something like that. Of private right. instruction to me wasn't a thing. Um, until he introduced it to me. And I was like, wow, like. 
that's something that's possible. Like I could go outside and, and get just flute lessons. It was a very new concept to me. And I remember standing there with you and like we were both being introduced to this idea and it was really amazing. I had a similar situation where I brought up I brought it up with my parents and they were like, um, did you forget that we're poor? Right. So so I, I actually didn't get lessons until further down the line. And even then, like I, I, I remember having to drive an hour to my first lesson teacher's house and not being able to take lessons in a very consistent basis because it was just so far and I didn't know anybody else who was a resource to me. Uh, can you speak to how resources helped or hindered your path? Yeah, you know, at, at first it was it was really difficult, especially because like I kept, you know, Mr. Barley saying like I take lessons and I'd like go home and I call like, hey, like I don't want to take lessons and if he said like he would say no because he couldn't afford it and like, you know, that was like the first like biggest reason and then it was that they just didn't think that I should like really like why are you gonna pursue music? Like what is that? Why don't you just become a lawyer or a doctor instead? You know, it was like the other part. But like once they were convinced to pay for lessons, that's where it became an issue. Like they were like, Okay, like we would give you lessons if we can pay for it. And, you know, I really, it honestly took Mr. Riley actually speaking to my father, like, in person, like, seriously, like, hey, like, you, I really recommend you do this. When my father, and my father finally listened, and he, I'm, like, very lucky, he, and grateful, he just decided to take on, like, some more hours at work, and that's how, at first, I was able to pay for my lessons. Um, He paid for them, actually, and I was, at first, I feel like some, it was in a studio, like, where, like, we had, like, more general lessons, like, different instruments as well. And then after a few months from that, I took lessons with Mike Webb, who was, like, one of the teachers at the studio. Um, but we started taking lessons privately at, like, you know, like, at um, his uh, studio place. And, you know, like, at that point, I thought, like, okay, like, I guess this is, like, the most I can do. Like, I'm done. Like, I have to take lessons, and then it's off to college. And then I found out there's actually other things you can do, like, turning orchestras, bands, you know, the all-state regional bands. There's like even like summer like intensives where like they just teach you like your instrument, you know, like saxophone academy, you know, there's like also the Rutgers yeah. um, band camp, I think it was called, the other stuff like that. Um, but it was just, it's like, you know, it was really hard doing these things because obviously they're not cheap at all. And you know, just being low income, barely being able to afford lessons, it was just hard being able to make these other things happen. Yeah, I mean, for me, I remember, for me, I remember starting lessons and being like, okay, what else can I do? What more can I aspire to? And thankfully, my first teacher, while it wasn't the perfect match, he still helped me find uh, one resource in particular that led to kind of more development for me. And it was a summer music camp at a college. And we actually did, did it together yeah. for two years. Um, and then that led me to finding my my new and main teacher for my high school years. Her name was Amy too. She really opened my world as far as opportunities. I didn't know that competitions were a thing. I didn't know that like there were so many programs you could go into, youth orchestras. And we like fully took advantage of that because, well, we'll get into the types of programs we did outside of school, but coming from where we're from, the public school system, didn't allow us really to move forward as musicians in the way that we might have wanted to as far as what was available to us. I remember not 
being able to use an instrument from the school because all of them were broken. Yeah. And especially so moving fun. into high school, because yeah. the the higher up in grade you get, in where we're from at least, the fewer the resources seems that we have. Right. No instruments were available because all of them were broken. It was very difficult to get into band programs because counselors thought it wasn't really important. Right. I remember sitting in the counselor's office and having my schedule that I wanted in front of me and being like, I really want to be in this band class. I, I'm planning on going into music in the future. And he looked at me, he was like, music? Because that's not really heard of. <laughs> going into the arts isn't, isn't very common where we're from. And right. I mean, even, even even just going to college in general is not really like you know hard. Needless to say, we're we're from where we we had few resources in in high school, so we had to look elsewhere. Right. But let's talk about how our high school experience affected our musicianship and our path. Besides us finding other programs outside that would help bolster us, what do you feel could be done better? in high schools, especially low-income high schools that don't have the money to spend on music? You know, that's actually not something I've ever really thought of. Maybe, and I guess it's kind of selfish, or maybe because I'm now, like, removed from that place, you know, I'm in, I, you know, we both are, we're both in college now, and so I've actually had a similar question, but quite the opposite. You know, the question I've had in mind a lot lately is, what can colleges do to recruit more, like, low-income people and get them into college? Um, and especially for music, because I feel like it's very rare to see like a low income or even like a person of color in you know that community. But the the, the problem is, I feel like everything just revolves around money. You know, I think the best solution <laughs> I've come up with up until this point is like having the staff, like those, the, you know, the people who teach the the professors who teach the instrument, having them come into like you know these like low income public schools, and like. That way kids can, like, know, like, oh, like, th like this is actually a thing. Like, people actually, like, teach saxophone at a collegiate level or flute or whatever. You know, we actually had that. I don't know if you remember. There was a few times where we had the clarinet instructor from yeah. NCU come in. Like, I feel like that was, like, super helpful, you know? Even though, like, it wasn't a private lesson or anything. It was just, like, a more general, like, group lesson. Like, that was still super helpful. And, like, even, like, even when we weren't talking about a specific instrument, you know, just the musicality like lessons and terms that he would teach like was like very useful yeah and there are definitely a lot of free resources that are available like if you like speaking back to what you mentioned with a local university uh their staff came to help mentor actually on two different occasions one time it was just a clarinet professor and another time we we separated into groups for sectionals with different staff members and although the flute staff member wasn't there i was with the oboe player and you no, know, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship because we're benefiting from free instruction from somebody who's a professor who teaches on an academic level above high school. And also they get exposure to their university and, and right. for, for, so it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, which I think is important to take advantage of. There's also plenty of programs that were available to us, like NJSO side by side, where we actually got to play side by side the, the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra for one piece, and then we got to hear a concert. And right, like, those are professionals, so like doing exactly what we want to, what we want to do. And you know, I feel like that kind of thing is like so rare, and like we're, we're just so fortunate to have that. I mean, I definitely feel like that said a lot until we, you know, our aspirations. Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> this is funny, but even my Instagram picture for online is a picture of me playing side by side in the NJSO. Oh my gosh, yeah, it is. Yeah, because <laughs> it was just such an influential moment for me to see a real, live, actual flute player. Her name is Kathleen Nestor. And, like, to talk to her and, and, and have an exchange. And she actually recommended, this was a really long, this was before I ever took a private lesson. She said, oh, here are etude books that you should start if you want to pursue music, this and that. And those types of guides along the way, even if it's just for one day, or maybe like somebody like our private lesson teachers who mentored us for months and, and years, that type of thing propels you forward. And I think that's important because there's not really a guide or a guidebook that, that'll tell you, you want to be a music student, performer, whatever. Well, follow these exact guidelines, follow these rules. Sometimes you just have to literally play it by ear. Those guides are so important and it ties along with the themes of music being such a communal experience. Even small stuff, like I remember <laughs> you, uh, we were, the, going back to eighth grade, we were in jazz band together and mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about jazz. I, I knew absolutely nothing. And I remember sitting there with you so frustrated at me because I could not figure out what swinging meant in music. I think the piece was like March Boppish or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and and you were like my first unofficial lesson on the flute, like on jazz. <laughs> on So my point is that everything ties along with music being a communal experience. And those with more experience help those with less experience. And at the core of what a music education program is, even if it does not extend past high school or middle school or whatever, is that here are people that know something and they're gonna teach people who don't right. or who know something but know less. If we could find resources to increase the amount of people who know something, who know a lot about it to teach those who know less, I think uh, anybody can really pursue music and, and, and enjoy the community that we form and eventually be the people who know something right in fact there's always somebody who knows something right. so, so there's always some there's always a conversation going on it's just like really hard to find like opportunities and there's a lot of free ones but i feel like they're either so rare or like in a different state and like you know which is also even if they are like in the same state sometimes it's just hard finding transportation how to get there just i feel like there's not many opportunities out there for you know low-income students I feel like, I mean, especially the ones I've met, like, in my school and other schools, they're there because they've had a band director who, like, helped them, you know, either, like, financially or, like, yeah, definitely. you know. And speaking of that, we did find extracurricular activities outside of school to pursue music in a different context as well. I remember my private teacher informed me about the youth orchestra program in Newark, New Jersey. Right. And their whole program with the youth orchestras and, and their youth ensembles is that they help low-income students who yes. have no money to buy their own instruments, to rent their own instruments, and they give them the opportunity to learn music. And I remember going every Saturday and... Yes, you would carpool. Yeah, we would carpool because we, we you know, we figured out a way. Right. And at the end of the day, in a, in a space where 
there's little opportunities given. You have to go outside of your box and kind of find opportunities. So we kind of, in that way, we work together in finding resources. And you're a saxophone player, obviously. Right. So even you, like, just to pursue music at a deeper level, you play the clarinet for orchestra. So, right. so yeah, so as to find something else to do. And I think that was a very, very important, like, step in our progression because I had never played with an orchestra before or or orchestra rep was so it was very foreign to me even the even rep that I knew like I remember we did uh yeah we did Jupiter and Mars and it was so the rep was very very difficult and intense yeah and at that point we had never played music at that level before it was interesting to see how we handled it and how we maybe sometimes flubbed our way through especially in a community where a lot of people had been in the orchestra for years and it was it was our first year and we did it we were we were able to do it for two years i think right or yeah, three three oh. no i think no i years. think it was definitely two yeah because i remember i had to take i took a full year to learn clarinet to finally audition yeah there we go yeah i think we started our junior year of high school yeah and we we were just flooded by this community that there were people like us who mm-hmm. had little opportunity, even people from our same city. Right. Like there was a French horn player, there was you, there was me, there was another flute player that came in from our school. And there were other people who had been taking lessons since they were five. Or so so right. it was kind of a mixing pot. And I think it was a really important experience because it taught us that those people who were privileged enough to have resources were in the same spot as us. Yes. And we could <laughs> occupy the same space as equals. Yeah. And I think that was really great. Not to mention the directors, both of them, because we had two different directors, were so helpful in guiding us and treating everybody fairly and like pointing out the things you did right. I remember being so afraid for a, for a flute solo that I had and being encouraged and being given extra time to learn it and to be tutored on it. It was just great. And on top of that, we we actually got to learn with real orchestra members from the NJSO. Right, the people from the side by side. Yeah, so I I remember Reva Youngstein was the mentor for the flute section and she played with us and I learned so much from her and there was small insights about orchestral playing like, oh, you have to blend in using the vibrato, oh, the the flute is guiding this passage or listen to the oboe, mix with the, stuff like that that I wouldn't have caught with my ears with my, like, she really helped me. We did learn a lot, yeah. The clarinet instructor for us was this man named Andy Lamine, which is like amazing, you know, he's of course plays in the NJSO orchestra. And you know, at the time, like I think I had only been playing clarinet for a year and so a lot of you know, I you know, it's not like the other clarinetists were sitting with me who had been taking lessons for years and years and years, you know. <laughs> that was the only instrument they ever played. But for me I guess it was just helpful and just getting comfortable around the clarinet. You know, I I think the one of the best parts about it was just that he was so encouraging and like despite like my huge gap in skill with the other <laughs> clarinetists there, he was always very encouraging and supportive. You know, I honest I honestly think that's why like I was able to make like all the progress I made with that instrument. Yeah. And it even crossed uh sections too because I remember I was playing piccolo for that one piece that we were uh playing to open for the concert. And afterwards, Andy Lamy came up to me. He's like, uh, Bart Feller, which is the principal flute of the NJSO, 
he wanted me to record you and 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 to say congratulations because you played piccolo very well and mind you i was also very new to piccolo i i was playing on a plastic piccolo like it was it was it was it's moments like that that kind of it, it helps gather you up and and propel you forward so that you know that you're kind of going in the right direction obviously i was not playing piccolo at such an advanced level but it was encouraging to hear feedback and to hear that I was being heard in that space, right. which is why I think the NJSO Youth Orchestra experience was so impactful for us. Yes. And I know we mentioned before a summer camp that we went to for a week, for two years in a row, actually, um, at another university close to us, mm -hmm. and how impactful that was for our musical careers. Can you speak about that a little bit? You know, the only reason I was able to do it was once again because my teacher helped me, like, get a scholarship. And, you know, if not, I wouldn't have far been able to do it. But, you know, just even being there was like, it was, I think maybe that's one of the first few times I had been other people who were like equally or even more passionate about music. You know, people who all like actually enjoyed like being there and playing their instruments, actually practicing, and, you know, practicing the same intensity that we had. Yeah. Like, you know, we weren't familiar with that in our school. Um, and I honestly think that was like, I guess I, I guess I would say it was life changing. Um, you know, the at the school we went to, which is Rutgers, the Saxon professor there is this is Dr. Paul Cohen, and I honestly I think he's definitely one of like the biggest influences I had back then towards like the way I play saxophone, um, and even like the, the gear I was using and still am using actually. It was just amazing, you know, and like he was like a very interesting man and he just had so much knowledge to offer, you know. At the camp they offered like a lot of electives like music theory and stuff, but like all the saxophone students would kinda just skip this elective and just go to his office, just keep talking to him and learning from him. And, you know, it was like the first time like outside of private lessons I had really explored the saxophone to like a deep level and like learned about its history histories and like all this different rep other than standards that I didn't even you know, that I of which I didn't even know existed. Um, it was just amazing. It was also like, it was that camp was like actually where I met um, some of the people I ended up playing in a quartet with all the way to like the yeah. end of high school. Or who I even had them play at my recital. I you know I played at their recital. Some of them I even go to college with right now. Yeah. Some of them you know like uh, one particular kid, Chris. He's like, he. I remember when we went our second year at Rutgers. I was like asking like all the other senior saxophone players like okay guys like what what schools are you guys applying to because like honestly I was lost like, I had like <laughs> no idea like I knew like it was time for college auditions but I had no idea like where I wanted to go, um and like <laughs> when I asked them I wrote it down like on my phone like super quickly like okay like they said this name like I'm like oh what was that name again like how do you spell that and it was he mentioned the word Fredonia I was like. And then afterwards, I looked it up, and I was like, okay. And I looked at the professor, of course, and I was like, wow, he is like phenomenal. Like, I wanted to like learn with him. Like, I'm definitely gonna add to school. Come on, those are considerations. And it, I guess just like stuff like that. Like, all these other resources lead to more resources, lead to more resources. That just leads like this huge plethora of like resources. Um, yeah, I guess like that was like one of the biggest takeaways from camp. It was also just amazing being able to play with other like other musicians that you know, also wanted to leave, you know. Like playing with musicians that were also at a similar playing level. Right, the and level not, of experience is like... Yeah, and and honestly, like I remember playing and I mean, I wasn't the most, I've, I've never been the most phenomenal flute player. Like I've always had to 
you know, work hard at it and stuff. And I remember playing and I'm like, wow, like I don't feel like I'm the best flute player here. Like how in middle school, like there were, there were even, even through the high school, there were people still learning fingerings and still right. learning. So, yeah. so it was, it was such a new experience to have people with more experience than me. And similarly to you, I found such a pleasant experience in having peers in my instrument. Yeah. And the first year of the Rutgers summer camp, I actually met my the private teacher that changed my entire life with right. music. And Amy too, she introduced me to so many new resources. She was the first person that really taught me what it is to be not just a flute player, but somebody who appreciates music and who appreciates studying music, not just playing it, but yeah, like listening to recordings, noticing stuff about them and, and really studying them so that I can learn. Even etudes where I had mentioned that I had bought a whole bunch of etudes that were recommended to me. Now I was finally working on them and what does this teach me and asking questions. And I think it was a huge learning curve, of course, um, because it was very new to me. But I went to the summer camp and I was exposed to so many new things. I remember, like you mentioned, the theory classes. I went in and sat down and the whole entire time I was lost. Like, yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody around my age were like, oh, yeah, definitely know what that is. I had never even known, like, Roman numeral analysis. Like, right. I didn't know what it meant. I had no context for it. Riley, you could see a C7 and be like, what is that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, Roger was like, oh, C7, so easy and basic. Yeah, and I remember the first topic, which now I know what it is, obviously. The the French, German, and Italian. Right. Adjustments <laughs> the course. I, I was like sitting there. I'm like, wow. What? <laughs> I was completely lost. And, and like a lot of people had like AP music theory mm -hmm. available to them. I remember one time, I think, we went to the guidance counselor yeah and we were like so how about we uh make a petition and everybody who wants to sign up for ap music theory like signs and we show it to you so you know people will sign up for a class if it's made available and they were like no that's it <laughs> we were like okay yeah. and we bought books to like learn i remember you lent me a book about music theory yeah. and and it was like a filling stuff out type of thing and it taught you but really like for me i started learning music theory right at like at college like i didn't know anything about it and it was it was a space where a lot of people knew what was going on already and i was like i don't but i'm learning fast and like i'm gonna catch up and i'm gonna be as proficient at it as i can right and Rutgers summer camp really opened up that possibility for me because although i didn't know what it was and i didn't know how to pursue it I knew it existed, and I, I always had it at the back of my mind. And even stuff like chamber music. Rutgers was the first time I learned about chamber music. And what that word even means. Yeah, like chamber? <laughs> What's a chamber? Like, are we going... Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> but I remember completely and totally falling in love with it. Like, even till now, like, my aspirations as a flute player is to be a chamber musician, you know? And... It, it led on such positive change in our in our development that even we as as like kind of upperclassmen in high school were like we can create opportunities for people who don't know what this is that are even even though we are just getting started we could open up this conversation and I mean 
we had varying success. Like, do you remember the chamber music club that we formed? Yeah, you know, I feel like it was, at first, it was, like, super popular. I think we had, like, 40 people, like, sign up. We were like, okay, this is going to be great. Um, but it was just actually, like, difficult managing all that. Yeah, which goes back kind of to the conversation we started off with, with your music entrepreneurship. Like, we didn't know what all went into making a club about chamber music at our school. Yeah. And so we just kind of expected to pair up and look up rep and have like little concerts and stuff like that and we didn't understand the depth that we were in so it didn't really work out as best as it could have but it just comes to show that even though we were gaining experiences and new things we in turn were trying to provide those same things for people who didn't know right and i think i mean obviously there were a few students that studied that went into music from where from the city that we're from but we i think we're the first two like that were actively involved in youth orchestra in private lessons and doing stuff outside of school that was music related and actually going to college for music and planning on it for a long time right. and so <laughs> I felt like because of that, we were able to kind of help other people who had similar interests to kind of follow that path. And so even though we didn't have anybody from above us telling us, oh, I'm going into music and to look up for them, we kind of tried to become that as best as we could right. for, for younger people. And that really, that, that feeds into like what I want to do professionally. Like mm -hmm. not only, like obviously I want to, I want to teach and I want to be a, a college professor and I have a lot of ambitions for my flute career, but more than anything, I want to, to create a space that people without as many resources can use to learn and to grow as well. Absolutely. How would you say that your musical upbringing has affected the future you are planning in pursuing music? Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. I went to college actually being a music education major, and you know, uh, the whole idea of teaching at first it was like I just want to teach, but I, I, I think the biggest reason I really wanted to teach was so I could help students like us. You know, people who come from like underfunded programs people who don't really know that lessons even exist. I mean, you know, like us, I, we didn't know that there was such thing as like music summer camps until halfway through high school. We were like, oh, like that, that's a thing, that exists, we can do that. Um, you know, there's like a lot of people who just, they just don't know and it's because no one ever told them. So I, I thought like, okay, I'm gonna be a music ed teacher and I'm gonna like help all these kids like get in these programs and like know what it is. I'm gonna help them get like deduce lessons, get into these programs and everything. And then I actually started taking like the music ed classes and I realized, oh, like it's more than just this right. wanting to help kids. It's actually wanting it's actually about learning how to teach kids and like actually like being comfortable teaching teaching kids and I quickly realized, okay, like I wanna help, but I don't actually wanna do this whole teaching part. Um and so right now, you know, I'm just gonna I was I'm just a music performance major. I feel like there's not really much I can do right now other than like give produce great lessons and like just continue, you know, stay, continue to stay in touch like people from our city and like other cities, um, since I go to school in New York, from like those underfunded places and like let them know like, hey guys, these things exist. Like, I guess, I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is just making myself as available as I can right. to like all those around me 
even if it's like people I don't who really know in real life, I guess I just wanna, you know, I think I think what's really important is just getting that information out there and just letting people know like this exists and like I'm here to give you a hand if you need any help at all. Yeah, and providing access at the of end of course. the day. I think similar to you, I, I started my process in applying to colleges as a double like planning to be a double major with music right. performance and music education. Obviously I really love performing and I really love educating as well. But one thing that my teacher, uh, my current teacher, Nina Simakopoulos, mm -hmm. uh, told me when I was on a phone interview with her was she asked me to give all the reasons I wanted to pursue a double major, uh, why I wanted to be a performance major, why I wanted to be a education major. And I gave my reasons. I said, I want to be a chamber musician. I want to be a college professor. I want to have a studio with kids. Uh, of all types of backgrounds and, and, and privilege and, and resources and stuff like that. I want to make music accessible to not just people who have the money to spend on it, but also people who may be very, very passionate about it, but not have the means to do it. And she told me, none of what you said necessarily needs a music education degree. Right. And I mean, music education majors they are what the world needs like it's very right. music they are amazing yeah they are amazing and the so amazing. the course load that they take on is very is very great I know. but you have to for people who go into music education you have to go for the right reasons like you have to want to be in it yes or else you will burn out very quickly like i did professor simicopoulos really saved me from that path because mm -hmm. she told me never make a decision out of fear because I had mentioned that, well, I want to be a performance major and I want to teach privately, but I'll have this just in case. And she's like, don't make that decision out of fear. Be right. confident that you could achieve everything you want and help as many people as you want without fear of failing because then you'll inevitably fail because of the fear. So I changed my major when I was applying to all my schools. I, I just went as a performance major. And really... I think nothing about my goals has really changed that much. Like, right. just because I, I, I love I love performing, mm -hmm. just because I'm planning on doing that and doesn't mean that I can't apply those skills to helping the people that I want to help and helping people that were like us when, yeah. when, when we were younger. I think that's really such an important thing to make note of, that no matter what type of musician you are, because there are so many different types of musicians, there's always something you can do to give back to the community that helped you. Right. Right? And of course. Of course, like I mentioned so many times already, music is a communal experience. There's no if there's no community, there is no music. Because I mean you can make music on your own, but it's to share, it's to perform, it's to teach, it's to inspire. Right. So at the end of the day that's what's important about it. And hopefully we could go into the future and continue looking out for kids that were just like us and kids who were not like us and kids who had less than us too and you know move forward as musicians and educators and guides for other people and we'll have guides always right like that's really the goal yeah well thank you so much for joining me in the first discussion of the play by your podcast thanks so much for having me yeah it's really an honor i'm so glad i'm able to be a part of this well i wouldn't want anybody else but my best friend in the whole entire world to help <laughs> the first discussion that we had and you know 
I really wanted this topic to be the first topic that we went over because musical paths and starting it is kind of symbolic as well for like what I'm doing for this project as well. Like yeah. I'm starting this new like project and I want it to be kind of like I mentioned in the first episode, I want it to be my love letter to the community of music. Right. And just like there's no guidelines for starting music, there's no guidelines to starting a podcast about music. But I think all this is to say that you got to start somewhere and that applies to anything. So I'm really glad that you're here with me. And thank you to anybody listening as well. I'm really happy that anybody who's listening is listening. Everybody has a different experience. Feel free to share yours on our social media platform on Instagram at playbyear underscore podcast. Also, make sure to follow Michelle at michellesdotsax and my personal account at the underscore magic flute on Instagram. See you there.